The following is a sermon that was preached at Faith Lutheran Church in Sharpsburg, Georgia. For more information about our church or to hear past sermons from Faith Lutheran, visit georgiafaith.com. Thank you for listening. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ, I hope that most of you this Mother's Day get a little time this afternoon to pull off the shelf one of those old family photo albums and spend a little time together thanking God. Happened last time I was home in Michigan seeing my mom and dad. I pulled down the family album and and there were those black and white pictures of my dear grandma and grandpa Lee. My grandpa all tucked away in his army uniform. He was a sergeant in World War II. My, my grandma Lee taking her shift as Rosie the Riveter working in the local Andro factory. Their, their wedding picture from 1946. They looked so fresh and young. You wonder, did they think of what was to come? Children, grandchildren. Financial hardship due to my grandpa's health and ultimately sort of early death. Turn the page and there's my mom, couldn't recognize her, class president in her high school, captain of the synchronized swimming team. There she is graduating from college in her white nurse's uniform. There is her 1980s afro hair as she brings my sister home from the hospital. Mom exclaims, how in the world did my babies grow up so quickly? Turn another page and there I am. There you are. Birth, baptism, high school, senior year pictures, graduation shots, wedding pictures. Spend some time this afternoon thanking God for all of his goodness to you. This morning, in Acts 11, we're going to pull the church family's photo album off the shelf and, and consider some, some powerful historical snapshots of the early Christian church. Now, I know we Americans, we, we struggle a bit with history, don't we? That many of us are inclined to chime in right along with Henry Ford that history is bunk. So-and-so went here, so-and-so said this, did that, and then he went over there and did that. And can we just say amen, Pastor Christie, and go home and have a Mother's Day ham, please? Well, not so fast. Because as we look at these snapshots of the church's photo album from Acts chapter 11, you and I are, are seeing the beautiful faces of our spiritual grandmas and grandpas, our moms and dads. We're seeing those beautiful young faces of the church in its youth, and we see what it one day would grow up and become. So pull up a pew for a few moments this morning and enjoy a, a bit of a tour through the church's family photo album where we'll see some pictures of persecution, but even more wonderful proclamation and, and perseverance of God's people through the years. That first picture in the photo album, it's not a pretty one to look at. 
As a matter of fact, that, that picture of persecution that we see, it was, it was as, at least as ugly as the pictures that, that one of my confirmation students brought to school one day to show me. You see, her dad, or her grandpa, sorry, was a, an army photographer in World War II, and her grandpa was there when a German concentration camp in Ordorf, Germany, was liberated. This was a place so awful, so horrid, so hell on earth that a general by the name of George Patton had to find a shed to go and loose his lunch behind. And the proof was in the pictures. Sunken faces, hollow eyes, death everywhere. The thought is this, the devil, brothers and sisters, never underestimate him because he has an insatiable appetite for wreaking hell on earth in bringing a little bit of disaster to those that the Lord Jesus loves. The point, of course, is that the devil could not keep the Lord Jesus Christ dead in a grave, so he will do whatever he can to put his hands to the shovel to dig a mass grave or two for those that know and love the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus in Antioch. The, the first great persecution of the Christian church blew up like a terrorist bomb. Rewinding just three chapters earlier, we hear the beginning of it all. Saul was there, giving approval to Stephen's death. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off men and women and putting, put them into prison. Systematic headhunting, house to house, the persecutors went, dragging moms and dads off in front of their children to a kangaroo court in a stay in prison. God's people were forced to refugee status as they fled literally for their lives. The great servant Stephen was murdered, martyred, for his Christian faith. What was his great crime? Well, he kept widows warm and well-fed, and he preached Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life, and, and that spelt death for Stephen. Is it me, or when you look closely at that picture, could that picture have been taken yesterday? From the sands of Sudan, where brother and sister Christians are sold into slavery in the year 2021, to the beaches of the Mediterranean, where ISIS likes to behead those that love the Lord Jesus, from the jungles of Indonesia, where sacred sanctuaries of the Church of Christ are, are burned like yesterday's trash, to Syria, where I dare you to find a Christian today, to the man who's passed over for the promotion at work because he was just a little too honest for his boss's taste. To the mom that suddenly receives the cold shoulder in the neighborhood playgroup. To the teenager who receives the knife in the back of a comment and mockery from a former friend. This is true, brothers and sisters. If the devil and, his en and Jesus' enemies crown Christ with 
with thorns. Don't plan on them crowning you and me with roses. But now look real close at that picture. And you will find a fascinating detail that there is the devil in bold relief doing his best to dish up hell on earth to those that love the Lord Jesus. But the world's worst could only serve the gospel's good. 200 years after Jesus, the ancient church father Tertullian said, The Christian's blood is seed. How did that work? Well, out of all those Christians in Jerusalem, as they flee for their lives, I can imagine that that most of them left most of what they own behind. But do you know what every single one of them took with them? The message of the forgiveness of sins in life eternal in the name of Jesus Christ. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Parallels what we heard three chapters earlier in Acts. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Leave it to the wonderful working of your God to use something as as ruthless as persecution to engage in relentless proclamation of the good news. Turn the page and listen. Some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. How wonderful is the working of your God. Think about what happened. Saul, all eager to destroy the church of God, a decade later is called back to Antioch to serve the very people that he had tried to imprison. And then we hear another marvelous first in the book of Acts that that the Jewish Christians at first were very comfortable in proclaiming Jesus as Savior to fellow Jewish Christians, but now all of a sudden Jewish Christians begin to engage Greeks, non-Jews, Gentiles, people that, that never went to synagogue to hear the word of the Lord on Saturday. Welcome to the birth of real mission work here. Paul and Barnabas, faithful preachers and teachers of the truth, and in Antioch for a year, great numbers of people come to the faith, and that great number of people went out and preached and taught a great number more. And so it continues down to this very day. Is it me, or could that picture have been taken just yesterday? Follow me just a little bit here. 
You'll notice that the early Jewish Christians, who were they comfortable preaching to? Fellow Jewish Christians. That it took a while for the church to begin to engage non-Jews, the Greeks, with the good news of Jesus. I suppose my thought this morning, the, the question I'll ask is, who is it naturally a little more easy for you to preach the good news to? Maybe someone with blonde hair, blue eyes, straight teeth, no zits, well-behaved children, good job, pillars in the community, coaches little league. They'll do great here at the preschool. Or is it easier to preach to the homeless man on the streets of, of Atlanta, smelling probably illiterate and hasn't made a good life choice since Carter was president? Pretty much a speed bump on the sidewalk. I ask the question, deep down we, we kind of know the answer. Who is it? A little easier to preach Jesus to, do you think? The pretty conservative crowd of Coweta County, Georgia, or the, the social liberal crowd of Seattle, Washington, the, the soccer moms of Sharpsburg, or the Muslim moms of Boko Haram? I ask the question, and deep down we kind of know the answer. And we soothe our conscience with that thought that just maybe because the Lord Jesus is so loving, he will raise up someone a little more like them to, to preach the gospel to people like them. And I'll be happy when that happens. Brothers and sisters, thank God that that is not how the Spirit of Jesus has worked throughout the years. Want to know what happened in, in the history of the church in that photo album that the Jews preached to the Greeks the Greeks preached to the Romans. The Romans went north and preached the good news to England, and the English got the, the good news over the English Channel back to Europe to the Germans. And, and I have a hunch that a German by the name of Martin Luther is still listened to here at Face Sharpsburg, Georgia, 500 years later. That message came to me, and I, a Bay City, Michigan boy, had the privilege of, of beginning Hispanic outreach to the Hispanic population in, in Waukesha, Wisconsin, of all places. And, and lo and behold, your preacher, who, who grew up on the other side of town from me as a child, way on the, on the cold side of the Mason-Dixon line, he's, he's been preaching the good news of Jesus here for more than 20 years, and you are blessed because of it. The wonderful workings of your God that brought Jesus to you. Who was it that brought the good news to you? Beautiful face of your mom or grandma who taught you the love of Jesus and prayed your prayers when you were going to bed at night? The Lord didn't send me a Barnabas, instead he sent me a, a Pastor Brenner, my childhood pastor, said, you should be a, a preacher someday, Aaron. It wasn't a Paul who taught me the way of truth. It, instead, my, my first Lutheran Christian teacher was a, a wonderful Christian lady by the, by the name of Mrs. Bugby, my, my first teacher at Lutheran school back in the second grade. Who is it? The, the beautiful face, the gentle voice that brought the good news of Jesus to you. 
Pastor who wet his hand in baptismal water and poured it on your beautiful baby head. And, and at that moment, your moment, your day, the angels of God sang as a sinner had come to repentance. And at that very moment, all the ounce of Jesus' forgiveness, it, it was all yours. That shepherd voice who is the voice of, of the good shepherd proclaiming the freedom and forgiveness that you have in the name of the risen Christ. That, that pastoral hand that hands you bread and wine and body and blood. And at that moment, Jesus is, is with you and he's indeed with you always. Brothers and sisters, so many things to thank God for today. My prayer, of course, for you is that you would continue to eagerly, aggressively proclaim the good news of Jesus here in Sharpsburg, Georgia, because where you have a people that are eager to proclaim, you have a congregation that will endure. The Lord's hand was with them. A great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. When Saul arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught a great number of people. The disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. The, the Lord's hand was with them. The message was proclaimed and people listened. The word was taught and people learned. And we are blessed today because they did. Which is perhaps somewhat different than some of Christianity in our country these days. There is a uniquely American phenomena out there in the visible church. It's, it's called church shopping. You know, every 18 to, to 24 months on average, an American feels that he, he needs to go somewhere else to church so that, that he can have that, that it's scratched, so he can find a, a place that's, that, that fits with him. And churches are, are willing to work with that and suddenly the message is downplayed just a bit and the volume of the music is turned up just a bit and you need to watch what you say because you don't always want to offend and before you know it you're left with a religion that's about a mile wide and an inch deep. The temptation of course is to look for quick fixes to what ails the church, what ails the individual rather than a deep rooting in Jesus, the way, the truth, the life. But this is true. A church is only as strong as its doctrine. Biblically based, consistently taught, passionately believed. Think of the history of Antioch city, a metropolitan area of a half a million people in that day of the New Testament. A place where, where the word was, was eagerly taught and proclaimed and believed. A, a real center of mission activity. St. Paul would go out on three missionary journeys around the then known world, out from Antioch. It was a powerhouse of Christian proclamation and mission. Any of you know where Antioch is today? Eventually, the message became assumed 
It's kind of their culture. No longer passionate in teaching and eager in believing, the, the light of faith began to flicker before it floundered. And when persecution came with a Muslim army, Syria buckled. And Antioch today is a town of a few thousand people in the terrorist state of Syria. People were first called Christian in Antioch. I don't know that you can find a Christian in Antioch today. But the deal, of course, is that we're not in Antioch this morning. We're in Sharpsburg, Georgia today. Biblical doctrine, I am certain, is being consistently taught here, and I pray passionately believed. May the Lord Jesus use me today to encourage you all to a wholesome fear of a comfortable armchair Christianity that is simply part of a cultural veneer, a hobby, a life interest, rather than an issue of life and death. You know the Christianity that becomes this? Do I really need to eagerly wrestle with and learn and study the Scripture? Isn't it enough to just every now and then pray and kind of pay and sort of obey? Isn't that good enough? No, what that is is the last stop before Christianity's death in any zip code. Brothers and sisters, instead, may your hearts this morning be filled with this. Not fear, but pure joy and thankfulness that in his amazing grace, the message of your forgiveness has come to Sharpsburg, that it is being passionately taught and eagerly believed. My prayer for you this Mother's Day, brothers and sisters, is that every one of you, man, woman, and child, would be blessed with ears to hear and hearts that are eager to believe the good news of Jesus and eyes that are wide open to the mission that stands before you here at Faith Georgia that the Lord would bless you with mouths that are passionate about proclamation of Jesus and that he would give each and every one of you hands to help to get the work done that lies before you. Because someday, one day, a hundred years from now, the photo album will come off the shelf and your grandchildren's children will look at the faces of your church's history book. And what will they see? My prayer, my confidence for you, brothers and sisters, is this. That they will see the faces of beautiful, precious people that every sin of their past is perfectly covered up, forgiven, gone, in the blood of Jesus. They will see a people with the Lord Jesus alive and exceedingly well right now in your midst. They will see a people who know that the Lord Jesus has their future well in hand. They will see a people whose future is looking mighty bright. The Lord's hand, brothers and sisters, be with you upon you 
and remain with you. Amen.